Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, February 12th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, You'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of that to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. 
I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get an email from you, we'll address your comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it just makes it so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, And that's just so much easier to do when we know how these shows are landing for you and what's what's most relevant in the work that we're doing during the Internet shows. So, plenty of time for comments or questions. Today on a Monday, we usually say it's a very good time to get a call in and let us know what's been going on for you over the weekend or how you might benefit if we go take the the calls in a certain direction this week. Uh, we have been working through the way of mastery. We will return to that as um, suits us, and there's plenty to talk about other than the way of mastery. And we sometimes get people who call in and say, you know, I used to use these worksheets, and they helped me a lot, and then I quit working They just, they weren't working as much for me, so. So what shall we do? And usually with just a little discussion, people are able to get a shift and get more productive in their worksheet process. Area code 541, you're in the air. Good morning, Dr. Tim. This is Celinda. Hello, Celinda. I've certainly been enjoying the interchanges that uh, Susan have been has been having with you and with Michael, and I wanted to applaud her for what I see as phenomenal leaps in her growth. And I also want to share just a little... Um, mini miracle uh, in my life here. Um, I'm catching myself much more quickly in noticing my projections and or my double standards, what I call the pot calling the kettle black. Um, And I'm apologizing more quickly uh, and immediately. And so I will... Um, I will also know. I am also noticing that I don't. My apologies don't catch in my throat as much. Like I'm concerned. I'm. I'm. It's all about me and my survival. So I just wanted to share that. I'm sorry. I had a text come in right in front of my eyeball. <laughs> I had to get back on track with you. So uh, I just wanted to share those to you. Like, are 
our relationship, my husband's and my relationship, is flowing much better, much more open these days. Um, and I really credit that to the support that I got from your support group that evening this past uh, fall. My blessings and my deep appreciation to all of you and myself. Excellent. And so um, that's a huge thing if you're saying that when you apologize to somebody, it's not catching in your throat as much. Right. And something that was said, I'm sorry, go ahead. Please finish. And something that was said in one of the recent uh, broadcasts, um, it might have been with Susan and either you or, or Michael, but something about you're not going to speak your truth if you feel threatened, if it's a power person dynamic. And I've known that for quite a while between the ears. I've known it. Um, however, I'm beginning to get more um, messages that that probably has to do with my blockage of truth is that for me at some point that I don't even remember or that I might have been told about but cannot feel or remember actively myself um, that there was a life-threatening situation that I perceived at that age that said, don't say anything because you will be punished and you just might die. And so I had a dream, just a snippet of a dream this morning that I can't even really remember it except the energy was that I had said something that was true and then I realized, oh, this person could turn this against me and uh, really uh, harm me. And that was all. It was just a snippet of a dream. So I know I have more work to do in that blockage of truth because not only do I stifle my truth when I'm aware of it, but I'm sure that contributes to my not bringing up deeper truths about me or about life um, or about the situation. So I wanted to share that. All right. It's uh, it's amazing how our lives can shift as we dismantle fear. And um, Lesson 7 in the Way of Mastery is really, really trying to get us to understand that at deeper and deeper levels, that there isn't anything for us to fear at this true, deep spiritual level, and yet we've you know, created fear basically at every turn. So congratulations for doing the work and dismantling some of that fear, and thank you for the feedback. You're welcome. And I have an intention to go back through the way of the heart. Uh, chapter 12 really spoke to me, and um, I have also have come to the choosing of focusing more on the way of heart and not scattering myself so much between the different approaches or the different tools available to me because that is the one that sings to me um and not that i'm not going not that i won't pick up the other tools when i'm impressed that's what i need to do but uh, my focus 
will be on the way of the heart. All right. Well, um, blessings. Thank you so much for the feedback. Anything else we can support you with today? No, just thank you, thank you, thank you, and much appreciation to all of us. You're welcome and deserving. I'll mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. I had several times over the weekend where my mind flashed on what we were reading in Lesson 12 as basically, the way I look at it, the last exercise that they were presenting. And... It's, it's, I just flashed on the thought that, you know, sometimes when people do this work, they make themselves, they create a belief that they are responsible for other people's actions and progress or lack of progress. And there was a time when, the support group, which will be 20 years ago in August, will finish 20 years of doing the support group. And there was a time when that support group began where the person who was running it, I'm told from others, would get angry at group members if they showed up and they hadn't done the worksheets that he told them they needed to do and as we know in this work my anger is never about anything outside of me my anger is only always and forever like all of my other emotions something that's created as an inside job there's a dynamic inside of me where I choose an interpretation for something that's unfolding, either inside me or outside of me, as my perception portrays it. And as I pour my mind energy into whatever the interpretation is, I create the emotions that go along with the thoughts that I'm pouring my mind energy into. And that's the only thing that creates my emotions. So, whenever anybody is fooling themselves into thinking that they're angry because X, Y, or Z outside of them, it's a completely unproductive cycle to be in and to stay in. And yet, we had people that for quite a while after that, uh, that that person was no longer in charge of the group, who would come in and generate fear, thinking that someone in the group was going to be angry with, with them or express anger towards them because they didn't do X, Y, or Z assignment. And in Lesson 12, I thought of this several times over the weekend, it says you really don't want to go into 
the next 12 lessons unless you've done this exercise, unless we've dissolved the roots of fear, unless you've looked well within yourself and said, who do I know in my existence who I have judged and then locked into a certain box and I've decided that's all that they are. And so here's this useful meditation that's suggested. Use 30 days, the next 30 days. Now, part of why it says the next 30 days is that these lessons were given once a month. And people would receive the audio file and they would have the opportunity to listen to it over and over again throughout the month and or do the work that was suggested in the exercises before the next lesson was was offered. So that's a part of why it says the next 30 days. But there's the other idea that there's a recognition here that you're not going to do this in an afternoon or an evening or even a full day of just all day long. This is all I'm going to think of. But it says for the next 30 days, you might decide to use time wisely to allow the names, the images, the faces of those that you've judged to come back to your mind and then say the following thing in your own mind. Quote, you know, so-and-so, father, mother, ex-mate, whoever it is, I get it. I've placed you in a box and thrown away the key. You're stuck, so I have said. And now I release you. I release you so that I might be released. And then it says, contemplate their image. Allow the memories of the experiences you have shared with them to come back. And if there are feelings, by all means, let yourself feel them. Gaze upon that person or that image in your mind until you feel the sweetness that dissolves the imprisonment into which you have placed them and yourself. For as that imprisonment begins to melt, you will sense and know that your own freedom is blossoming. Here's the point. You cannot take fear into love. You cannot take judgment into forgiveness. You cannot take limitation into unlimitedness. These things must be released at the level in which they were first created. Therefore, make note that this practice should not be overlooked. Give yourself 30 days with the goal to truly go back and, shall we say, mop up any forgiveness or releasing that you need to do. Do not let the mind say, I'm not sure I did that well enough. Trust the fact that the comforter that releases you and the other is doing the work when you just show willingness to allow it to occur. And there's going to be some effects. If you take this exercise seriously and practice it, it will mean that you never again have any justification or excuse for attacking 
attaching any experience you've had or any feelings you've ever felt to what somebody else did or an outside circumstance. Often it says the human and egoic mind wants to hang on the coat of its judgment, hang the coat of its judgment on the hook just outside the jail bars that they've locked somebody else into. I decide I'm only feeling this upset because you did this, that, or the other. And just one paragraph later it says, as we conclude the way of the heart, I say unto you, do not enter the way of transformation until you have truly and fully satisfied your awareness that you are not clinging to even the subtlest iota of perception that in any way you are a victim of the world you see. Nothing has been caused by your relationships. All of them have merely shown you what you have already decided will be true. The world, then, is not the cause of anything. You merely see what you have used the freedom of your consciousness to concoct about yourself. So, I thought about, so what will we do today? Will we go back and start reading from the beginning and reread the first 12 lessons? Will we reread lesson 12? Will we maybe decide to go back and read the meditation in lesson 11 that we didn't read? And then I thought, okay, so at what level in this work on this internet show with these recordings and people listening what level of responsibility or practice or motivation or accountability can we help people into or generate with them and I'm As, as we all are, I'm dancing around these issues, attempting to be clear about how limited my influence on others is and how full your influence on yourself is. The point of this work from the first lesson on is to help people move into 100% responsibility for what they're creating in their experience of life. And it's not reasonable to think that just a, a few days after reading this, um, any of us has accomplished this assignment from Lesson 12. And it it's also not really reasonable to say, okay, uh, we're not going anywhere until everybody's finished this because 
first place would never be able to verify that everybody has finished that process. And in the second place, it's trying to have control over something I don't have any control over. Violates one of the primary bottom line observations I've made for decades now in my life. So I don't know where it will go, but I do know I kept thinking over the weekend an excellent way to do what is suggested in Lesson 12, the part I just met, read about, is anytime I remember somebody and I've got a twinge of a negative emotion or any kind of blame come up, an excellent way to work at that, the way this work wants me to, is to do a series of reality management worksheets on it. Or to do a mind shift, or turn the thought of a of a situation that happened that my mind wants me to believe is proof that somebody else did something to cause my upset, and just turn it into a mind shifter, or get the mind shifter tool off the website and pick some numbers, and then you know randomly choose the numbers that seem to come to mind, and then look at the list of mind shifters and start journaling on that statement. Actively apply the tools of the Reality Management Worksheet, the EFT tapping, and the targeted journaling that Michael calls a mind shifter to any thought I might have that someone or something outside of me has caused my upset or still deserves my resentment or bitterness or anger or grief. So, I just recommend that. I'm just highlighting for you what what was occurring for me throughout the weekend when I thought about where to take this work today. I kept hearing, as I do every time I read this lesson, don't go forward and expect to get much out of it until you've truly and fully satisfied your awareness that you are not in any way seeing yourself as a victim, that you are taking 100% responsibility for what you experience in your life. And that's what all of this the first 12 lessons have basically been about. It starts on page 5 in the first lesson and says, here's the first axiom. If you want to get started into awakening, just let this idea into your mind. Nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. And then, here's the next really big thing about this work everything about the way of the heart is outlined for and in support of having you get out of your head get out of your mind whenever there's any kind of an upset 
cancel everything you think you know, everything you think you need, and understand that everything you're experiencing is there to show you what you need to release to begin to free yourself. Every upset you have is simply an opportunity to unload some more baggage that isn't true, something that's false, something that Michael Rice would call disintegrative energy. The the next big step in Lesson 3 is this shocking statement that this pathway is about understanding you are not special. You don't make progress. You don't do and say things to earn favor with someone or something like a god. That this is about recognizing the truth that is true always, that you're just like every other creation of the one mind and this is about dismantling any thoughts of specialness this is what so many teachers fail to do fully this is what so many students or aspirants fail to understand about their teacher or their guru. But here's, you know, three three big points right in page five of, of the first lesson. The very first step in awakening is to allow this mind, your mind, in to have this one thought. Nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you and you experience only the effects of your own choice. The next big shock to your system is you've been raised in the western world where they tell you that your mind is so powerful and it's so important to be right and not be wrong and the next big point is this is not the path of the intellect your intellect you're figuring things out you're comprehending things at deeper and deeper levels with your conscious logical mind was only always and forever intended to be a very simple tool that serves a higher level of knowing, inspiration, intuition, creativity. And the the next big shock to the system is this is not a pathway of accomplishment and pride. It is a pathway of releasing from your consciousness every hope and every wish to be special. You don't gain favor with God or light or love or the Holy Spirit. God, light, love, Holy Spirit, consciousness, the rain falls equally on the just and the unjust. The sun shines. It just shines on the just and the unjust. Any sense of specialness, if you're going to make 
real progress on this pathway, you have to watch for and dismantle thoughts of specialness. You're not here to fix the world. You're not here to fix your brother and sister. Only love does that. You're here to remove everything that's less than love from your consciousness, your mind energy, your memory, your physical energy system and trauma energies. One way to think about why you're here is to become a more and more transparent conduit for that loving creative energy. And that first lesson says quite clearly, your intellect can never bring the healing of the heart that this work is all about. In the next lesson, it talks about how your body is a communication device. It's a very temporary communication device. And we, we're creating what we communicate and we're communicating whatever we create. And it says, ask yourself the question, what am I committed to communicating? What will my creations in this moment express? What will I be conveying to others? It says, you are an infinite focus of consciousness. And the very sense of your existence is nothing more than a feedback loop or a feedback mechanism so that you can witness the effects of the choices you're making. Not just here in the conscious level, but in the very deep, deep depth of your mind that rests right alongside the mind of the Creator. And just like one of the Abraham teachings, one of the segments in the second lesson says, peace flows from alignment with the mind of the Creator. And Abraham says, whenever you look at one of your friends, <clears throat> you look at a family member, a stranger, or someone you count an enemy who's offended you, and you have a tightness or a tension or a discomfort inside of you, one of the best ways to understand that discomfort inside of you is to understand that that's happening because you're trying to view the person differently than the Creator views that person. You're trying to view that situation differently than the flow of creation itself would view it. Another thing in the second lesson is it talks about how mastery arises from innocence. It doesn't arise from putting your nose to the grindstone and gaining control over various things. And it might seem like, you know, a, a complete misnomer or misstatement, but this is why they talk about all those quotes from the Bible that say you must be as a little child to enter the kingdom. Because 
your intellect wants you to control things and judge things and and being wide open and taking things as they come being in allowance and surrender is far more in line with what this way of the heart is inviting us to do and they invite us to understand that you have total freedom and therefore you need do nothing here's another big shock to the system especially for the western mind you know and it's stated two or three or four times in just several pages here in lesson two you need do nothing you don't have to survive. You don't have to pay your bills. Oh, yes, I do. Well, you do because you're creating it that you do. But there are all kinds of people who don't survive today. They're not going to survive today. They're going to drop the body. There are all kinds of people who are not going to pay their bills today. There are all kinds of people who are not going to be polite today. Oh, I need to be polite, or I need to do this. or It's just a creation of your mind. And the first two axioms are, that nothing sources my experience but me in each moment and nothing has an effect on me whatsoever except that which I allow to choose to affect me. That's the first axiom. And the second axiom is I need do nothing. And whenever I judge, whenever I decide I know what's right or wrong and I judge anything that's happening in creation as right or wrong I'm creating attention within myself I'm creating veils and distortions of perception I'm moving myself away from the actuality of life and when they move into lesson three they get even more specific about it and they say to forgive means to choose to release another person from the perceptions I have been projecting upon them. It is an act of dismantling my projections, my judgments, my perceptions. And as I keep doing that time after time after time, even 70 times, seven times, every time I dismantle my false perceptions, every time I dismantle my judgments, I take myself deeper into the purity of my own consciousness. And when I do that, I'll begin to see how deeply and profoundly I've been coloring and affecting all my relationships. I wake up and realize, oh my gosh, I don't really know the person I'm sitting across from. I'm busy thinking about them in my head. I'm busy creating a set of beliefs and hopes and fears and judgments and then relating to that rather than actually relating to the person sitting across from me. And every time I judge somebody, I'm ignoring the idea that everything I see is either an extension of the creative energy in its purity without any distortion or it's a cry for help and healing. And it says very clearly, when you judge, you have moved out of alignment with what is true. And you've decreed that the innocent are not innocent. 
And if you would judge another as being without innocence, you've already declared that's true about you. So to dismantle your judgments, to dismantle your negative perceptions, is to practice a process that cultivates a quality of consciousness in you in which you finally come to see your true nature and you finally come to see the true nature of creation itself and your creator. We have someone with a hand up, area code 760. You're in the air. Michael? This is Tim Hayes. Pardon? Who do we have who do we have speaking? Oh, this is Don David in Palm Springs. Hello, Don. This is Tim Hayes. How can I support you? Oh, hi Tim. Yeah. Did I'm, you want to talk uh, to Michael? Yeah. Okay, well you need about uh, twenty minutes and then call back or raise your hand again in 20 minutes. He's, he'll be in the second hour. Oh, okay. Thank you, Tim. All right. I'll just go ahead and mute you so you can listen for the rest of this hour, and then you'll be on the on the call. So in our third lesson, it says very, very clearly, Every thought that you have that something is wrong related to you're better or worse than somebody, it is a veil that distorts your perception. And it takes you further and further away from your true nature, the true nature of life unfolding around you. And so the process they call forgiveness is the process of dismantling your judgments and your perceptions. And although... The more you do that, you might be judged, you might be evaluated by your culture as being crazy. It's entirely possible, and they're recommending it as highly useful. Even if somebody breaks into your house and steals some possessions of yours that you highly value, you have the opportunity to look at that situation as a cry for help and healing rather than an opportunity to judge someone. Although it's going to require vigilance and discipline on your part because you've been growing up with language and practicing the patterns of thought that your culture has given you for decades, usually a number of decades before you're even introduced to concepts like this. And You're going to be judging people left, right, and center. You're going to be judging situations and things. And that lesson cautions us. Don't beat yourself up. Don't judge yourself negatively when you find that you're judging. Just step back and with childlike curiosity, chuckle and say, Oh, I know that judgment energy. I've done that a lot. Maybe because I don't like the tightness or tension within me, maybe I can choose another thought pattern right now. Every moment in your day gives you an opportunity 
to learn and grow. This lesson also points out that you don't live any ordinary moments. With each breath, your experiences are the stepping stones laid before you by creator and creation itself to guide you home. If you will simply look at them that way, can you bring awareness to each moment and allow each moment to teach you how to dismantle your judgments and dismantle your perceptions so you have more of a direct experience of the flow of creative energy that we call life. The point of these lessons and exercises is to help us recognize where we hold a judgment about life as being right or wrong, good or bad, and release it. And in that process of doing it over and over and over again, we dismantle the baggage we carry that tends to keep us closed off and shut down and tightened. And so we become a more and more wide-open conduit for the energy of love, energy of life, the energy of creation to express through us. And then in Lesson 4 it says, by the way, what is that energy of creation? It is such a powerful energy, and yet it's very subtle. And so they say, let's use the word desire and we'll define desire as the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in each moment. We're going to help you try to dismantle your thoughts and judgments about how desire is bad or about how desire is the same as passion or obsession or craving. Let's just reserve that word, desire, for this very, very powerful, subtle energy that carries on it thoughts about wanting this or that. And let's give you some exercises in Lesson 4 to help you start to tune into and wake up to and become more and more sensitive to the energy of creation that wants to move through you, that wants to express uniquely through you in each new present moment. Come then to see that desire is not evil. It is not to be feared. It is to be It says here, mastered, and then it says, mastery is not control. For the control, the need to control, the thought about needing to control, is an effect of the energy of fear, not of love. Mastery of desire comes when you recognize that you're able to safely feel whatever wave of desire might come up through you, because you get to decide whether or not you'll act on it. And in that fourth lesson, it points out to us that this energy of desire is a major part of the only relationship that holds any value at all. It's your relationship with your creative source. And that desire is the energy that can awaken you to the quality of that relationship. 
says, desire links you to the will of creation itself. Here's a couple exercises for practicing, asking over and over in the beginning of the morning and all throughout the day, what do I truly desire? And from a place of innocence and allowance and surrender, I ask myself over and over again, how much of the Creator am I willing to receive and allow to be expressed through me? And that takes us into Lesson 5, where it says, now let's talk about the keys to the kingdom. Since of myself I do nothing, but through me, creation does all these things. I didn't create myself. I don't know when I was created. I'm not originating this creative energy force. But I am given dominion over my consciousness. And where I direct my consciousness and my thoughts, I create an experience for myself that's more like what I'm focusing on. And so the five keys to the kingdom are desire, intention, allowance, surrender, and humility. And the first one is desire. We just spent a whole lesson talking about it in Lesson 4. Only by feeling desire and allowing it to flow through me wide open can I begin to move toward the stage of mastery in which the energy of desire always serves that higher will of creation. The second key is intention. Intention is that energy or that use of the mind that arises through consistent practice. We have been training ourselves to get distracted. Now, the invitation is to train ourselves to learn to focus our attention, intention throughout the day and focus it on that energy of desire, to stay aligned with that one relationship that is the heart of all of the relationships, my relationship with my creator. And once I practice doing that, the third key is allowance. Allowance is my being vigilant for any sign of tension in my life and releasing it. Allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events of my life as stepping stones, not obstacles. Understanding that everything that happens presents me with a blessing of whatever lessons I need to heal the obstacles to my success. My presence, my awareness of my true nature as the presence of love and the source and ground of my being. Guy Finley says, the lessons I need to learn in life ride into my life on the back of the events I don't want. He goes on to say, and the importance of any event is directly proportional to how much I don't want it. The importance of the lesson contained in any event is directly proportional to how much I don't want that event. And the fourth key is surrender. 
and I don't make surrender happen. I can't voluntarily just say, okay, I surrender. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is as I practice desire, intention, and allowance, as those stages mature, we rest into surrender. Surrender means there's no more restlessness. Surrender means that you know through every fiber of your being that there is no one here living a life. There is life flowing through the body-mind personality for as long as it lasts. And it's something you grow into by practicing to be aware of desire, practice focusing your attention on what is this energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through me throughout the day, focus on removing tensions, judgments as soon as they arise within me, that's the allowance, and then surrender just starts to happen. I start to realize at deeper and deeper levels I'm just in the flow of life. I'm not living this life. I'm not doing this. Life is living through me. And it says, if you do those first four steps, your life experience is going to change so much that it's going to be really, really tempting to say, look what I did. Look how hard I've studied. Look how many times I've read the way of mastery. Look how many times I've done all those exercises of five minutes a day. <clears throat> look at how much better. Look at how everybody's looking at me like I know what I'm talking about. And they see me as a great teacher. It's going to be very tempting to want to keep some of the credit for that for myself. Despite the fact that I could only have gotten there by recognizing at deeper and deeper levels, that of myself, I do nothing. I didn't even create myself. I don't even know when I was created. I need to stay aware of the truth that I'm not living this life. I'm not doing all these wonderful things. Life is living me. Life is expressing through me. So those are the five keys to the kingdom in Lesson 5. And lesson six says, okay, practice those and then understand love heals all things. And if you really, really, really get the opening sentence of lesson six and everything that's intended in those few words, you wouldn't need anything else in this book. Greetings unto you, beloved and holy friends. Indeed means there are no other options. This is the absolute truth of life. Holy because you are whole. You didn't earn that holiness. You're not going to lose it by doing something wrong. It's just your true nature to be whole. Beloved because a friend is an equal who walks in perfect equality with the grandest of masters.
you could know that of yourself, if you could know that your true nature is love and feel it resonating out through your heart space prior to every breath, then you would truly know love. And to do that, you need to know yourself. And they suggest that we ask ourselves on a regular basis, is my commitment to love, capital L, love, or to fear? And they remind us in Lesson 6 that this is a feeling universe. Feel everything. Allow yourself to feel. Do not deny the role of feeling in this dimension, for feeling is everything. And understand that it's perfectly okay for you to feel everything that comes up and let it move through you with breath, with allowance, because nothing can chip, dent, rust, fade, or break your true nature in any way. You are whole and complete just as you are. Nothing of value can be taken from you. Nothing of true value can be added unto you. And the more you rest into that, the more you get the idea, the message of Lesson 6, which is love heals all things. And only through feeling it all, allowing yourself to feel it all, understanding that you, your essence is not hurt by the emotions that you feel or the energies that move through your system. Only by allowing that do you move into the realization that love truly does express through you and dissolve or transmute everything that's less than love. So... just looked up and realized we're near the end of our time so I will thank you Celinda for your comments and questions earlier and your patience area code 760 for sticking around to talk to Michael um, I will remind us all that we come from love we're made of the stuff that we call love we actually are love and everything else is false and I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Monday, February the 12th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563 563- Nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael just a moment to dial in, and I will just say that um, today is um, you know we've been doing the enlightenment study, and today is day twenty one in this study, and we don't really want to call it a study, but we are looking at Kabor's manuscript what's been printed out of that so far, which is the Enlightenment book. And, excuse me, and uh, looking at the Aramaic terms instead of what's been translated out of the Greek or the Latin or some other language. And so um, we'll 
give Michael a moment to get on air. And I know he has some readings he wants to do today. And we did have a couple of questions, so um, we'll get around to those as well. Calls, even if it isn't about the Enlightenment. Excuse me, I've got a tickle in my throat. Um, and I am broadcasting the recording on Podbean Live as well. We've had several people from Poland and different places that have been able to link in there instead of dialing in and using cell minutes. or. And so that has come in handy. I know that the recording of it is not as clear as blog talks, and I apologize for that, but I haven't found out a way of connecting the two and recording simultaneously. If anybody has any ideas of how to do that, you can drop me a line at genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org. Give me your ideas. What I'm doing right now is, because we are recording live on blog talk, is I have a microphone. I have my phone on hands-free on speaker, and then the microphone picking it up and recording on blog talk or on Podbean. And so what happens is it comes across kind of a, a tinny sound. And so hopefully, and Michael's got a new phone, so when we get that one going, um, hopefully it'll be a little bit clearer coming through. But if you have an, any other idea of how to connect the two and record simultaneously, that would be awesome. And so Michael has joined us, and I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Yes, we could use a little bit of technical assistance in that regard. If anybody's out there, and actually, if you're benefiting from this work, uh, we invite you to find a way to support it. Whether you take on a project, help with a project, uh, donate money, donate time, whatever. If it's serving you, please support us in making it available. The outflow uh, in terms of energy and uh, what it takes, you know, you'll notice we don't have any advertisers on this show. We pay to do it. We don't get paid to do it. And so if it supports you, test on some form of support in our direction. And uh, Ms. Jean, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat I do not have a hand up. However, I did get an email, and I'm attempting to locate it as a. Oh, we did have a handbook. So Is that the one you printed for me? No, that's another one. But I did get another oh. email from someone asking okay. another question. So, but we've got two hands up now. So while I look Let's for the for other it. email, we'll turn on a hand. <laughs> Area code six six one eight. My screen just flipped on me. Six one eight. You are on the air. Hi, Michael and Jeannie. This is Cammie. <clears throat> well, welcome, young lady. Um, How are you? Thank you. I am wonderful. I'm just playing in everything I do and doing it all with intention. And it's just everything's falling together. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I just, I'd like to comment on this, and I have a question, but I can't remember what the question was, so I'd like to just go with it. Okay. Oh, I know one thing <laughs> I wanted to say. When I talked the other day, when Jeannie called me, when I didn't mean to have my hand up because it was from Tim, right. I immediately went into Cuba because I have a fear of public speaking. And so I immediately went into Cuba and forgot everything I was going to say. 
Ah. <laughs> and okay. that was very instrumental in what I want to talk about um, with the learning how to play mindfully. I've started repairing relationships, organizing my house, um, including the garage and just getting everything done, cleaning up the energy to where the, a lot of times I just feel like I'm floating. It, the energy is so light and moving so freely. It's incredible. And Sounds like you're getting to taste human life fully. That's awesome. And, yeah, and understanding how Ruka dances with Rachma and Kuba. It's like I get those Aramaic terms now. And awesome. that is just making me see how all the things I learned about the physical, growing up, working on houses, you know, mechanics on cars, being with guys that were really physically minded, um, in Cuba, and I was trying to be in love and growing, and it all just came to where it's Ruka. Does that make sense? It makes sense. The the only thing is, I, I think you might be misthinking about the word Cuba. Cuba is the corollary to Rachma. Cuba is the filter over the frontal lobes of the brain that keep intentions keyed to love, or pardon me, Rachma is, and Cuba is a corresponding filter over perception that keeps perception keyed to love. It's hostility or fear that moves us into some sort of negativity or uh, or fear type of thing. So Kuba is a, the pairing filter with Rachma. When both are set, what they called Rachma and Kuba set together in the mind were perfect love. When they said perfect love casts out fear, the mind can't produce a fear-based reality when Rachma and Kuba are set. It's just not possible, no matter what we're facing. Well, but it so sounds like you're getting the, that, to experience the fruit of your work, which is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, like in a way that is just transformative. My life has been so disorganized for those years that I wasn't doing the work. And I mean, addictions are falling away. Um, losing weight, uh, I am, my bowels are moving freely, you know, just the energy is just like, here it is, and it passes right on by. Well, there are, you know, we we talk a lot about laws of living. Of course, you did many, many years ago, and there are ways that make the game work. And, you know, that's all the word law means is how does it work? It's not this uh, silly thing of the rule of a superior that wants to control us, but rather just, well, here's how it works. If you you follow the the, uh, principles by which it works, then you get the result, and if you don't, then... You don't get the results. So it sounds like you're getting to experience the fruit of your labors. That's awesome. So that's our objective you're here. You're saying that when Rachma and Kuba are dancing together, they're in alignment. That's right. how Ruka is able to really get in there and create the work. That's the pathway. That's the gateway in the opening. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, if hostility and fear are there, get. yeah, if hostility and fear are the active filters over either perception or intention, then 
that's when the higher guidance, which Rukka provides, is blocked. And Rukka, for those that are, you know, maybe new to the show, Rukka in Aramaic is a term that speaks of a literal feminine elemental force that in us, that is in us, pardon me, that literally one eradicates our errors, undoes our errors, and the effects of those errors and teaches us the truth. So there's a, a literal elemental force that has access to our minds when we have those filters set. And there's no oh. such concept in the English language for, you know, there's no word that represents any one of those three key pieces of the puzzle in the English language. It takes a whole paragraph from, from the Aramaic to understand them. Through this understanding that I'm gaining, I'm able to see that everything's neutral. There is no hierarchy. Um, all the way down to, I, I saw it in meditation, all the way down to the first original thought. That opened up so many doors and windows. The rabbit trails are mm. just all over the place, but... I'm able to manage them and work with them and grow. It's it's, it's amazing, but um, nice. Yeah. I just wanted some clarification on what I was, you know, to send me to the next level of understanding. That would be it. That when they, when they said perfect love casts out fear, they were saying Rachma and Kuba set together. Literally means a mind cannot generate anything based in fear because those filters block those things out. And you know, only, that's only what one was filter going on was in in my energy, that's what was going on is Rockman Kuba were setting which like made a combustion of energy in to let Ruka in. I think And it is a practice to do that. Yeah, it's cool. I'm doing everything intentionally. I'm canceling my goals at night. I started implementing the laws of living like you brought up. And nice. it's just all falling together like I'm free again. Yeah. And, and notice that Yeah, and notice that the world will do everything it can to resonate or activate hostility or fear. Mm-hmm. Because that's how the world controls us. That's how we surrender control, by refusing to become responsible for and forgive the hostility or fear that's in us. Yes, it's easy. I mean, it's been so easy, and me and Matt are working together and thinking about the energy of these two 70-pound dogs we have in the house, and training with them is just going phenomenal. I mean, they had some training, but we're just taking it further, a step further. All right. Cool. Well, tell Matt I said hello and send my love. I'm just delighted that you're both rocking on with it. That's fabulous. You might hi. want Matt to said uh, hi. get out. Okay. Matt's Wait, listening hello, to you. Hello back. Hi. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. You might want to get out your Laws of Living book and start to go over that material again and maybe take Matt through it. That would help solidify the whole thing on another level. That is um, definitely my intention, and I need to reorder Enlightenment because I lost it somewhere along the way. 
So ah. I'm going to... Well, there should be a copy of well, it with your laws of living. In, in some cases, actually, if you check... Because I had the extra green one. Okay, if you had the if you have the extra one and you lost it, well, you lost it. Because, but uh, there were a couple of years where we actually printed laws of living as part, or pardon me, enlightenment as part of the laws of living text. So it's right in the textbook. But otherwise, if you want to get another copy, you know, uh, if you go to the um, uh, our catalog, it charges shipping. We don't have any control over that. And it, the book is $25, and then it adds shipping. But if you want to just go to our website and go down to the bottom, there's a donate button. And if you donate $26 right. uh, and mark your, your name and your address and that it's for enlightenment, we'll pay the shipping. So, you know, for people to, make, to facilitate people who want the book to work with while we're doing the study of it, that's what we're doing is we're picking up the shipping. So. Right. Very cool, and we're going to go back and listen to the shows from the beginning, so I want two Enlightenment books. I'll just donate. I'll just do it twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, you just go like to, oh, just, just do it. Just go ahead and, and do the uh, – it would be $52, and just mark two Enlightenments in your address, and we'll get them off to you. If you do it today, I'm going to be going to the post office later today. We'll get it out to you today. I'll do it right now. Wherever you are in the world. Um, and where are you these days? I'm sitting here talking to Michael with my husband and my dogs in my house that has great energy. Where? Where? Are you, are you back in St. Louis? Oh, yeah, I'm in Illinois. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Sorry. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm in Illinois right now. We're getting ready to head down to Missouri in a couple of days. Awesome. So. All right. Well, tell your son we said hello, too. It's been a long time since we've seen that young man. I will tell him. That's. I mean, that's what got me going again. And, you know, I'm being a way better mom. It's, it's incredible. The work works. All right. Um, All right, holding the space. Let's do it. Make right, sure, thanks. make sure when you do that, you send it the address that you'll be at if we ship it out today. So it'll be sure to catch up with you. Oh, I'll go ahead and put Missouri since we're heading out there in a day or two. Awesome. All right, well, travel blessings right. then. I'm glad to All hear right, your voice. You. Just delighted. All right, blessings. Glad Take to care. Bye. All right, bye. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Miss Jeannie, you've got another hand. We do. It's area code 760. You're on the air. Who do we have? Oh, hi, Michael and Jeannie. It's Don David in Palm Springs. Well, young man, you've been telling us for two years you're going to call the show. You did it. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) I went to your website, wygen.org, and I guess you updated it. And I couldn't figure it out. It looks like I had to put an app on my phone and do all this stuff, and I'm just not I'm technology uh, challenged. Um, but something happened uh, Friday that I really want your your feedback on. Um, my truck was stolen Friday night, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was not just a regular old truck. It was I had had it 15 years and I was restoring it. And I only had liability insurance, and the sheriff showed me two guys 
the the cameras caught him at a stoplight and showed me two guys just driving off in my truck and I've not seen that since. How would no. I go about forgiving those guys? I mean, I, I would suggest that you never, ever, ever forgive them for that. Really? Never. Yes, sir. And then I Overall, have another question about forgiveness. I've, well, uh, wait, wait a minute. Not finished yet. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. Slow down. Slow down. Not finished yet. Okay. So when I say never forgive them, never forgive yourself, never forgive anyone for anything, I'm not saying don't forgive. I'm saying don't forgive them. Now, we've been taught in this culture, if you go back, remember way back when you were listening to the show regularly, you heard this conversation often, that the Greek idea that they fed us, the Greek misinterpretation of forgiveness is this. I have pain or trauma inside of me that's all your fault, but it's okay. I'll let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. You know, the fact that I'm missing my truck and I'm upset about my truck being stolen. So I'll forgive you for that. So if I let somebody else off the hook because I have upset in me over my truck being stolen, have I done anything to clean up or change the upset inside of me? Nothing. So what the Greeks taught us was to pardon someone and call pardoning them, I let you off the hook calling that forgiveness. And that's what I'm saying. Never forgive anyone if you choose to pardon them. Okay, you guys, you stole that from me. All right, well, I'm going to let it go, so I let you off the hook. And now I'm going to recognize that there is upset in me, upset that I've faced many, many, many times. You know, read my book again, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? The upset that you're experiencing belongs to you. got nothing to do with them. They've triggered it by stealing your truck. But in fact, if, let's say, you know, the bottom line of someone stealing something from you is being ripped off or losing something. So if I hold in me an unforgiven reality about losing, I hold an energy about losing. Remember that everything, energy by definition is motion, and everything that's in motion creates an energy wave. It's a gentleman named Marcel Vogel. I used to uh, keynote at a conference in Colorado called uh, Global Sciences. And one year, Marcel Vogel, who was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM, showed up at the conference, and he brought a thing called a Delaware camera, special camera that has a tuning mechanism between the uh, film and the aperture. When you push the button, the camera shutter opens, and there is a tuning mechanism that if there is a particular frequency present in front of the camera that matches what the camera is tuned to, then that frequency will show up on the photographic plate. You know, a normal camera, you open the aperture, light comes in, and it registers on the plate. But this Delaware camera has a tuning mechanism in it, and tuned properly, you take a picture, and rather than a light showing up on the plate, what shows up is whatever the camera is attuned to. So the upshot of that is what Marcel showed us is that he could take a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. 
when he tuned the camera properly. So if I hold in me loss, and Marcel stood in front of me and took a picture and tuned to the frequency of loss, there would literally be that energy of loss emanating from me. And because we live in a world of resonance, I'm setting up a message. I like to call it the psychic megaphone or the creative wave. I'm setting up a measurable high-energy wave that says, hey, world, I'm supposed to be ripped off and experience loss. Is there anybody that can come and steal from me? And somebody's going to show up. If I forgive them from stealing from me, I've done nothing to change that energy pattern in me, so I'm going to continue to send it out and find somebody else to do it and somebody else, and why is this happening to me again? So if you choose to pardon them, the Greek idea, let them off the hook, great, do it or don't, but then take out that worksheet and forgive in you everything that has to do with loss. Once you forgive, and the word forgive properly translated from the Arabic means, the Aramaic means remove, once you remove that frequency, guess what? You're no longer setting out a high energy wave that says, hey, somebody come rip me off, because you've forgiven that. So never forgive anybody for anything, but if you find yourself stuck in a pattern of some kind, forgive from within yourself that pattern and let them off the hook or not for what they do. Does that make sense? Is that yeah, right brain cells? sort of like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. When you hold some kind of hostility toward them, yes, that's true. Because I have but one on a deeper level, question. But a, on a deeper level, address your loss through forgiveness, and you'll stop creating losses. Okay. Well, this question is along the same lines. Uh, long story short, um, I had a, a Iraq veteran friend that was homeless a lot, and I would let him stay with me, and he was just the best guest you'd ever want to meet uh, or have in your house. I mean, he cooked and cleaned and was very grateful. And... Uh, Last year, he uh, gave me a call and said, Don David, I'm I'm suicidal. My girlfriend's cheating on me. Can I come out today for a few days from L.A.? And I said, sure. And then he, uh, one morning, he got up, I guess, walked to the store and, and got some alcohol. And by not, you know, I got up about 830 uh, and he was already drunk and screaming up these yeah. at and and he put me in a death choker hall. They called the sheriff. They wouldn't get rid of get him off the property. I was afraid to scare all the tenants. And uh, they finally came out a second time, and they got him off the property for for uh, trespassing. But then I noticed right afterward, right after they took him away in handcuffs, I noticed that he had gotten in my jewelry box. He'd been the only person here. I just had moved here a couple months prior. 
and he stole all my jewelry. I thought, well, mm. I can forgive you for whatever happened in Iraq to make you an alcoholic. But stealing from me and very sentimental jewelry, um, I just thought I'm never going to be able to forgive this guy for that, yeah. even though so, I know. So, so let me start my conversation all over again, Don. Never forgive anybody for anything. Notice we just had a whole conversation about what forgiveness really means, but you're going to continue the conversation about forgiving him. And I'm going to once again say, never forgive him. Pardon him if you choose to. And notice it's the same issue as with your truck you're being stolen from. Notice every time you've experienced a loss or been stolen from, you're the only one that was there. David, that's about you. Yeah. And forgiveness is how you go inside yourself and deal with these issues of loss and being stolen from. That's your work. And you want to clean that out of yourself so you don't have to set yourself up for it again. Pardon me, go ahead. Do you still have the worksheets to download? Oh, of course. Of course, and or just, you know, you can do the worksheet right on your phone. Just go to your app store on your phone and type yeah. in Heartland, one word, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic Forgiveness. You can do the worksheet right there on your phone. You can go to the website, whyagain.org. You can do the worksheet live on the website, or you can download the worksheet, print it off, and do them in paper, you know, right there in the comfort of your own home. The beginner seat, because I have ADHD, it's really hard for me to retain information if I read it. And mm-hmm. so I always did what I called your baby sheets, your baby step sheets, uh, where I could draw, you know, since I'm an artist. So I could draw a little bit and, and get that out through art therapy. Uh, Go for it. And I always thought, oh, gosh, Michael's giving me homework. <laughs> and, <laughs> so well, I here's my offering. Here's my offering. You sound like, Don David, you're giving yourself homework. You're recognizing, I need to forgive this loss and this thing in me of being stolen from. I mean, notice that was a long time ago when that guy did that and notice it's just the last weekend that this guy steals your, these guys steal your truck. Same issue. Yeah. Forgive that from you, that which in you believes you're supposed to lose or somebody's going to steal from you or wh- whatever the specific dynamic is. Apply forgiveness yeah. to remove that so you can change that game in your life. Well, I thought it would be different because I don't know the guy who stole my truck, but I do know the guy that put me in a death trucker hall and stole my jewelry. Yeah, yeah. And and you don't have to, you know, once you set out a signal, anybody that's in resonance with that signal, anybody that's in Dodge is going to come visit when you send out that signal. doesn't matter whether you know them or not. If you set up, hey, I'm a victim, I deserve to lose and be stolen from and experience loss and suffering, somebody's going to show up to play it out with you. Well, when I you forgive that, that, you free yourself of the pattern. I felt like I had good karma and that shouldn't be happening to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but the fact that it's happening to you, to say it shouldn't is just denial. Oh, well, I shouldn't be. Well, I agree. It shouldn't be happening to anybody. But remember, Don David, we are creators. You know, it's probably the greatest atrocity that's ever been done to us, and most everybody's bought into that atrocity. We've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. You create the results that happen in your life. When you recognize that you create the results that happen in your life by the energies that you hold, then you realize that you need to remove those energies if there's a creative process that's happening that you don't like. Removing those creative energies that produce the results you don't like is called forgiveness. The worksheet is about how to uncover and remove those energetic patterns. Yeah. Time to go to work. Yeah, I'll download us today. Awesome. And we'll be holding the space. And as you do it, you know, if, if other questions come up, please call and ask the questions. Because everybody has the same questions. And it, it gives us a chance to refine, refine, refine the understanding. Well, yeah, I love seeing you on Facebook. So I feel like I have, have not uh, abandoned you guys that. I should be calling in. Awesome. Because normally I can. Well, so I'm glad to hear you your voice. I'll, I'll let you go so you can help some other people. And, and, you know, doing the forgiveness process oftentimes is kind of like playing country music backwards. You get your truck back. You get your dog back. You get your girl back. You get your... You're supposed to laugh. It's a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Glad to hear your voice holding the space. Any questions, Thank please call. Michael. Hi, Jamie. All right. Take care. Lots Bye. of love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Miss Jeannie. Okay. I did find both the uh, question that I had printed out for you, if you want to do that one first, and then I found the other question that was emailed in. Okay, well, and I've got it printed go along, out. So. It kind of goes along with what you were just talking to Don David about. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Okay. So uh, so this is uh, coming from Sean. We talked to last week, and uh, the uh, he makes a statement or qu- has a question. This question has to do with the tangible process to, uh, process to forgiving, in quotes, the goals and, Sean, we're not suggesting that you forgive goals. It's, it's about canceling goals so that forgiveness can take place. The forgiveness is the removal, the end result, the removal of the unconscious, hidden, energetic dynamic. So the, the mechanism, the mechanical method by which forgiveness is carried out is that you look in any situation where there's pain and trauma being injected by the mind into your perceptual construct and you recognize that that construct is driven by your goals. Now we'll go back to the Harvard research that we've talked about where they showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits, a very tiny little bit of data. 
goes into conscious awareness compared to everything that's moving within us. Obviously, if a small bit of data is selected for use by the mind, something must create that selection. And what we're offering is what creates the selection, the driver for the perceptual constructs of your mind are your goals. So recognizing that a goal is what causes the mind to use this particular data compared to any other. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shebag or shabak, and it translates to cancel. So I cancel that goal, the driver, for that perceptual construct, and that construct collapses. So I cancel the goal so forgiveness can occur. When that construct collapses, it collapses in on its own root. And the root, you know, the things that keep coming back in our lives and biting us over and over and over again are things that are hidden in our own unconscious minds. Go back to ancient teachings and they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. The heart there, that word heart, would be the equivalent today of the unconscious. You must forgive, you must remove from your unconscious that which you put into your brain's image of another. So you cancel a goal in order that forgiveness can occur. So again, I'm going to start the question over again, or the, the statement over, so it has continuity for the next part of the question. So this question has to do with the tangible process of forgiving the goals, as in, how would one simply define the human process cancel the goal? I realize to local people, their idiomatic understanding would have had no problem with this simple single word meaning, cancel the goal, place in your mind. But how do we explain that to a Westerner, the actual doing it process? Well, a practical example, I, uh, there's a simple example that I use that I think helps to give people the idea of canceling a goal. And so let's just do a little mental experiment. And imagine that about three feet in front of your face, there's a red rubber ball. And in your mind's eye, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you reach out and with your left hand, you take a hold of that ball. So if anybody you know, wants to follow through with that, imagine you reach out and you take a hold of the ball and now you've got it mentally, you've got it in your hand. Okay, let go of the ball. And now once again, imagine the ball is there three feet in front of you and set the goal to reach for the ball. The only, the only reason you'd reach for the ball is because you set a goal to do it. Every behavior has a goal behind it. So once again, imagine you're going to reach for the ball, and when your arm gets about halfway to the ball, cancel the goal to reach for the ball. And what happens? You drop your arm. You don't keep reaching for the ball. That's how simple canceling a goal is. Now, it's not something in this culture that we've been taught to do, and so it seems like a new thing, and gee, how would I do that? But it's as simple as I'm reaching for the ball, I cancel my need to reach for the ball. And once I teach my mind to do that, then it becomes easier and easier and easier to do. And then uh, the, your question goes on to say, and can we say a goal was placed there by a false spirit 
meaning a filter of hate, anger, blame, or hostility. And filter wasn't used as far as I could tell. What would it have been, what would have been the word then? It may help me see it. I'm a visual guy. So my offering would be that goals have to come through a filter, but they're not placed by a filter. Goals come into the mind in one of two ways would be my offering. One is by an act of will. Will is designed, and I'm talking about the spiritual faculty of will, not willpower as the world talks about, but will is a spiritual faculty with which we manage our minds. And the mind, that's what will is designed for. And the mind is managed through indirection, meaning you can't manage it directly. There's a... a, a mechanism by which the mind is managed. An example of that would be, you know, let's imagine that it's getting cold in my room and I want to turn the heat up. Can I say, of course, today with technology, you could have this technology in your home, but I don't. So could I say to the, could I shout out to the furnace, furnace, turn on, I'm cold. What's going to happen? Nothing. I can't directly do it. I have to do it through in direction. In other words, I need to go over to the thermostat. And when I turn the thermostat up, that causes the furnace to come on. The mind is operated through indirection. It is managed by goals. So a goal is to the mind what the thermostat is to the to the uh, furnace. It's the control mechanism. So a goal comes into the mind either by an act of will or through resonance. I'd offer that we have millions of goals in our minds, generationally. There are only two ways once you set a goal into a mind for that goal to be removed from the mind. One, it either must be achieved, or two, it must be canceled. You know, if I set the goal to turn the furnace up, I go over and I turn the furnace up and I come back to do the show. I don't get up and go over and turn the furnace up again and then come back and go back and turn. I do it once. The goal's complete. My mind now is no longer going to guide me to go turn up the furnace. So there are only two ways to get rid of a goal in the mind. One, again, it needs to be achieved, or two, it needs to be canceled. Recognizing that, then a filter of some form of hostility or fear can be the pathway that this goal takes to come to awareness. But the goal itself is either going to arrive by an act of will or through resonance, and that resonance can be something internal. Gee, I'm cold, I'm shivering, and so that resonates the goal to be warm. And I know that to be warm, I have to turn up the furnace. So that's something that resides within me. So then uh, in the next paragraph, um, what uh, Sean says is, as I understand it, we automatically become love once we return back to the state of just living as a human being. 
Well, actually, you have never been anything other than love. You're not returning to the state of love. You always have been the state of love. We all are. That's the stuff we're made of. However, if we've given over identification of who we are to something in the mind, then we may lose the awareness of ourselves as love. So you'll remember Yeshua said, in order for you to live, you must die. And he's saying, in essence, if you've forgotten that you are love, if you've stopped functioning as love, and you've identified with a construct in your mind that's based in hostility or fear, this is what brings in the power person dynamics out of our codependence work. So if I have a false perceptual construct about myself that I'm something other than love, then it's the giving up of identification of that or the forgiving of that, the removal of that, that frees me from a false idea of self and gives me the opportunity to go back to the truth of who I am. And then you, uh, you, you put the statement and it makes you wonder what's behind the whole Adam and Eve story. And I'm not sure just exactly what your reference is there, so I really don't have anything to add to that one. And then you, you bring forward the idea of the Christian idea of being saved as a process of returning to normal being without the clouded, unrealistic goals built from false perception. Well, yes, that would be, my take would be that when we drop identification with the false self, then the self that was lost comes back to awareness and becomes what we function out of. So that self has been saved. That would, yes, I would agree with that. And uh, the unrealistic goals are the, you know, the way that you've written this implies that the um, goals come from false perceptions, but it's actually the reverse. When we load a goal in the mind, that goal will use the best data it has. And if it's false data, then the goal is what will build the false perception. And so if any form of hostility or fear is moving in the mind, then canceling that goal will collapse what's moving in the mind. And when it collapses, the underlying hostility or fear-based content, you'll remember in the step before you cancel the goal in the worksheet, you bring love present to your mind so that when you cancel the goal, perception collapses and love is present, then whatever underlies the false perception is exposed to love. And it's the shining of the active light, the active presence of love on that hidden part of the mind that causes the hostility or fear-based uh, constructs of the mind to dissolve. That's where forgiveness occurs. And then your last uh, statement, when you experience stillness of thoughts, you're back in control. You're no longer hypnotized at that moment. Well, actually, my take would be that when you experience stillness of thought, you'll come back into experiencing who you are as love. 
which would have nothing to do with control. There might be some benefit for you, just looking at the language of this, there might be some benefit for you in doing some worksheets on control that you equate experiencing stillness as control. And yes, when you say you're no longer hypnotized by the moment, yes, when you collapse the mind's constructs, you're no longer lost or stuck in that particular construct. So that would be my uh, my take on your questions, and I hope that uh, fits. And or if you've got a chance to call in, if there's anything that needs refinement that would uh, would clarify, then you know our call-in number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one. We could continue the conversation. But that completes my thoughts, Jeannie, uh, for uh, Sean's uh, comments. Do you have another uh, question there, sweetie? Yeah, I had actually responded to him in an email, uh, just giving him kind of um, some thoughts before we addressed it on the show. And one of the things, and maybe I read it wrong, but that when he talked about um, goals being placed by hate, anger, blame, hostility, it's not the goal that's wrong. And, And goals are usually wonderful goals. Uh, it's not yes. the goal. It's it's the file that's attached to that goal. And so saying exactly. that the goal is set by evil or angry or hate or whatever, it's not. Right. And that that's the driver. If there's content in the mind based in some form of hostility or fear and you load a goal, uh, then that hostility or fear-based content will be processed out of the system by canceling the goal and we're not suggesting you cancel the goal because there's ever anything wrong with the goal I mean you could have goals that are off base uh, but most people's goals are pretty much in alignment with you know where they want to go and as you say Jeannie the problem is not the goal the problem is when you load the reason you're canceling that goal is because you recognize that when you load that goal in your mind your mind goes into some form of hostility or fear and you want to forgive as to that hostility or fear right and then I did find the other question um, okay and this is cool getting back towards the Aramaic um, says she is her name's Andre or Andre and she says um, when Jesus said render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God what's your take on that from the Aramaic well my take on that would be that your obligation if you're living, you know, if you're playing in Caesar's realm, then what he's saying is you've got to pay attention to what you're doing. You know, if you're in commerce, if you're in commercial business, then you're going to have to play according to the rules of commercial business, Caesar. And, you know, when he says, pay me my tax, pay it to him. And that was the, the the situation that was going on when that whole circumstance of that whole conversation came up with Yeshua. They said, "Well, your master pays the tax, doesn't he?" And uh, they say, "Well, well, well, yes, of course he pays Caesar the tax." And they go to Yeshua and they say, "Well, Yeshua, do we pay Caesar the tax?" And he says, "Well, we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's." In other words, if we're in some sort of commerce, if I went out and I, you know. 
went to a, a wholesaler and I bought a, a, a bunch of pictures that I'm going to sell and I'm going to put it in commercial business and I'm going to pay the tax for being in commercial business. And then I render unto God that which, God, that which is God's. If I'm interacting on and my work is related to God's work, then what he's saying in the Aramaic context is, then I'm going to put, give my tithe to God. It's not going to be Caesar's. So render, you know, whichever realm you're playing in, render unto that authority. That would be my take on the Aramaic. It's, it doesn't come across very well at all in the Greek teachings. But that's what he's saying is which, which realm, which kingdom are you playing in, and make sure that you honor that kingdom. You're obligated. Any thoughts on that one, sweetie? No, that's good. And you're down to just 10 minutes, so I don't know if you're going to have time for your reading today, but there's no other means It doesn't sound like we're going to get to do that, but that's okay. We did have, there was another conversation that I had with Michael Tatey, and uh, he had some questions, and uh, is he by any chance on the line? Michael, are you out there? So we want to raise your hand? No. He had said that he wasn't going to be okay. actually on the call, but he took the archive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, basically, you know, we talked uh, toward the end of last week about this whole idea of uh, a Sabbath and a day of rest. And Michael had shared that uh, he had some friends that were in a, a church that um, he was a member of. And they went along with what they considered to be the ancient Sabbath, which the scriptures talk about nobody will change the Sabbath, and that you know the Christian church uh, has its Sabbath on a Sunday, and the Jews had their Sabbath on a Saturday, and this particular group of people uh had their Sabbath on a Saturday because they thought that was the law and it was a big deal and was something to fight and argue over. And he was talking about, you know, some of the history and how uh, dates were changed and who says what's who's where's what's and wherefores. And um, the, the bottom line of the conversation was that he had friends that were in that Saturday is the Sabbath, and if you don't practice a Sabbath, then you're a sinner. And when he did research, he came up to, I forget who it was, Pope Leo or somebody that took 10 days out of the calendar and changed it. Like, who knows what the original, was it Saturday, was it Sunday? And were men made for the Sabbath? Or was the Sabbath made for man? One of the points that I made was that Yeshua's bottom line was, hey, you're not here to be a slave to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The bottom line was the idea of turning your attention inward for a day a week, paying homage to and developing your relationship with love is important. And so make sure you do that. Are you going to get into a big fight and lose your the presence of your love over who's right about what the Sabbath is? And he had shared that some people who were 
at one point in his life very dear to him, basically threw him away because he started to question whether it was Saturday or Sunday and, you know, what's the point? If you go the whole point of the teaching of this man called Yeshua is to restore us to the presence of love. To come back to the point where we realize who we are as human beings. Now, you'll notice that a mind can use any reality at once in order to project its pain, trauma, and rejection. So you can bet the person who would not fellowship with you because you moved from Saturday to Sunday has a reality where love has been rejected from them. And they can project that into their brain's image of you if you happen to con- you know, confront that reality. Or they could go, you know, I just realized that we had this discussion about Saturday or Sunday. I've been taught by somebody that because you choose a different day than I, I should reject you. And now I just realized that I broke the first law, which is Rachma, maintain the condition of love in my mind for every human being that I contact. Even if they're doing something that I don't like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to maintain the condition of love. If I hold a reality that someone triggers in me, and that reality comes up, and I put it into my brain's image of them, then I can pretend I'm rejecting them because of, and it's their fault because, look, they don't agree with me that it's Saturday or Sunday. What we would say to that person is, stop, take a breath, notice that you're projecting separation over a conversation about Saturday or Sunday, like that's the end all and be all. And the end all and be all is function as a human being, function with love toward your brother, toward yourself, toward your neighbor. And if you can't, apply forgiveness and own whatever is in you that's creating the rejection. And as you forgive that which is in you that's creating the rejection, who is there to reject? No one. Well, how about the really terrible criminals? Certainly we should reject them. Really? Why would you do that? Well, because look what they did. So let me see. Somebody out there does something, and you give up the presence of love in you because of what they did. We call that denial. Remember, whenever I think or speak, so something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, I'm in denial. And when I'm in denial, I dissociate from a part of myself. I have to hide something from myself. And now I start living in a lie. Whatever the lie is that has caused you to give up your awareness of yourself as love or causes you to believe 
that someone else doesn't deserve the presence of your love? That's your work. That's what you need to be about forgiving. And when you do, you return to your own body-mind unit as the active presence of love, and there's nothing that anybody could do that would cause you to give that up because the first order of business is to maintain your human life, which is love. So once again, in Aramaic, love is not something we do to somebody. It's not something we can get from somebody. It's not something we can give to somebody. We are. And if I lose the awareness of myself as the presence of love, then whatever the circumstance is in which I do that, I apply forgiveness. When I apply forgiveness, I literally remove the energy pattern in me that blocks my awareness of myself as the active presence of love. And so I get to maintain my human life no matter what. So remembering that love is the essence of what we are. And when we're in pain, it's because we've given up that essence. And the forgiveness, the removal of whatever it is that we're in, we think we're in pain about, literally removes the energy pattern that blocks our awareness of ourselves as love. And we're restored to the active presence of love. That's what forgiveness does. It's a restorative process. It removes the blocks to the awareness of ourselves as human beings, as the active presence of love. And that's the whole bottom line and the whole objective of this work. is to restore it to the truth of who you are. You're made in the image and likeness of the Creator as love. That's all. And whatever your culture's taught you to give that up for, stop it, forgive it, be restored to who you are. That's the bottom line of this work. So thank you for joining us. And create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world needs it. You're qualified to give it. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.